Welcome to the podcast on Sources of the Reign of Robert I and the Anglo-Scottish Wars of Independence, a podcast produced by the Arts and Humanities Research Council-funded project, The Community of the Realm in Scotland, 1249-1424, to History, Law and Charters in a Recreated Kingdom. The project team is made up of historians from the Universities of Edinburgh, Glasgow and King's College London, and is recorded in the King's online studio at King's College London. Each week, we take one of the important sources from the reign of Robert Bruce, King of Scots, from 1306 to 1329, and explain what it is, how it survives, and why it matters. I'm Dovid Brune, Professor of Scottish History at the University of Glasgow, and this week, Professor Steve Boardman from the University of Edinburgh will be taking us through the Irish Remonstrance. So, uh, first of all, can you tell us something about what this source is? Well, the Remonstrance, which uh, is a name given to a legal document for a redress of a grievance, was a, a letter sent to Pope John XXII, largely as a justification for the support given by some Irish lords to the Scottish invasion of Ireland, spearheaded by Edward Bruce in uh, 1315 and lasting until uh, 1318. Uh, the document has, has notable parallels uh, with another famous letter uh, sent to the papacy some three years later, the so-called Declaration of Arbroath, and I believe there's another podcast uh, about that declaration uh, on its way. The remonstrance, in effect, lays out a potted history of the Irish people, royal dynasties and church in ways that reflect contemporary understanding of what constituted a fully developed medieval gens or, or, or people, uh, a people with a natural right to autonomy or independence under its own chosen leaders. Now, the letter was purportedly sent by Donald O'Neill, uh, describing himself as King of Ulster. And as we've already noted, a remonstrance is a form of, of legal complaint or petition and while that is in some ways a reasonable description of the content of the letter, the title by which the text is now known, the Remonstrance, is a modern coinage uh, rather than a contemporary description. Uh, the letter, as it survived, is undated, it's unwitnessed, uh, but the context uh, and the content clearly means that it's likely to have been written uh, sometime in this, this window, 1315 uh, to 18, while Edward Bruce was actively campaigning in Ireland. Thank you very much. And um, could you say something about how it survives? The key point, I think, to notice is that the, there is no known archival copy of, of the document. There, there are no originals uh, of the remonstrance. Uh, and the text is preserved only as a copy bound in 14th and 15th century manuscripts of John of Forden's Chronica Gentis Scotorum and Walter Bower's Scotti Chronicon. So, in what context was it uh, was it issued? Well, as we perhaps um, suggested just suggested already, uh, the text is is produced in the midst of the Scottish invasion of of Ireland, led by Edward Bruce, but with considerable support from his brother King Robert. The text seems to lay out the case for the Scottish intervention to be regarded as a just war designed to bring about the end or an end to the suffering of the Irish. Uh, the Irish being depicted here as a, as a fully formed Christian people, a gens or, or a nazio, 
with a long-established right to political autonomy. So in a sense, it's, it's designed to present to the papal court a very different view of what's going on in the island of Ireland than might be being presented there by English envoys and English ambassadors who are perhaps suggesting that there is a rebellion underway in Ireland against the English king's established overlordship, which is, is not only being supported by Irish rebels, but this, this strange intervention, an invasion of, of the lordship of Ireland, which is English territory, by the Scots. So can you say a bit more about what the text actually says? The text is essentially a, a narration of, of uh, atrocities uh, of various types, a, a record of the misgovernment of the Irish and the island of Ireland and of the usurped rights of the Irish people. It's clearly a piece of, of diplomatic propaganda sent in O'Neill's name to make clear uh, and justify his support for Edward Bruce's claim to the kingship of Ireland and lays out this case for the Irish support for the Scottish intervention to be regarded as as a reclamation of usurped right uh, and, and status. Uh, so, for example, it runs through the way various Irish noblemen uh, have been um, uh, killed. Uh, so, in terms of, of what the remonstrance says, uh, the text lays out uh, the supposed origin uh, of the Irish Nazio with the arrival of the sons of Meal of Spain to effect the final great invasion of the island as uh, detailed in the mythological Book of the Taking of Ireland, more commonly known as the Book of Invasions. Uh, and thereafter, stress is laid on the unbroken line of native kings uh, that reigned in Ireland from this point to 1170, when Henry II launched his invasion of Ireland. Uh, alongside that uh, stress on, on native kingship, there's an emphasis uh, on the Irish as a Christian people called to the faith by Patrick in response to papal direction uh, and the 61 native Christian kings uh, who ruled thereafter. Uh, and it lays out the way in which the Irish church had been endowed by those kings and thus arrives at 1170 with a picture of a fully constituted unified Christian kingdom brought to ruin by Henry II's intervention. Finally, could you say something about why the text matters? Yeah, the remonstrance is, is clearly a polemical document, very much a product of its time and designed as, as a piece of diplomatic persuasion. It's very much part of a current controversy and, and debate in 1316-1317. And its narrative is shaped by its rhetorical and, and propagandistic purposes. But precisely because of that, it reveals contemporary understanding of what made legitimate kingship and government, the nature of just warfare, uh, and the right to resist a tyrannical or incompetent administration. It's also potentially important in a Scottish context uh, in a number of ways, because in terms of its structure and the concepts deployed, it bears more than a passing resemblance to another letter sent to the papacy, as we perhaps already indicate, the Declaration of Our Broth. So the Declaration uses very much the same type of structure, the same type of, of general concepts, obviously, in, in terms of the Declaration of Oath, tied very specifically to the case of Scottish kingship and, and, and the Bruce dynasty. And aside from its potential as a, as a model, a plat, perhaps a dry run 
for for the declaration and we should bear in mind that the actual authorship of the remonstrance is is fairly shady or or obscure we're not quite sure how much input edward and robert bruce and their clerks had in terms of drawing up uh, this document so as a, as a precursor to the declaration of, of our broth it's uh, important even if it isn't quite as as coherent and, and well put together as that that particular piece of, of diplomatic correspondence but it also has a strange afterlife in late medieval Scottish chronicles and for example in the hands of Walter Bower one of the chronicles that preserves the text of the remonstrance the document becomes a cautionary tale about dealing with the English crown I have carefully inserted the foregoing remarks about the Irish in this work so that the Scots may learn never to be willing to be subject to the tyranny or the insufferable rule of the English. So, uh, say a type of cautionary tale. Yes, thank you very much. I mean, just as a subsidiary question, do you reckon Edward Bruce had a chance of becoming King of Ireland, of succeeding? Was there, or was this just a pipe dream and uh, chasing unicorns? It's, it's one of those great counterfactual questions, really. It looked as if it cannot possibly be brought through to a successful conclusion. Um, and the Scottish intervention in, in, in Ireland looks uh, as if there are too many obstacles in, it, in its way to possibly have a chance of, of, of success. But the Bruce brothers tend not to have over-romanticised views of their own capabilities and the, the, the capabilities of others. And it is a sustained uh, attempt in which a lot of resources are poured from the Northern Kingdom into supporting Edward Bruce throughout the three years. And there are some indications, at least, that uh, a reasonable number of Irish lords and, and perhaps Irish ecclesiastical institutions are prepared to think of, of Edward as, as a properly constituted king of, of Ireland. It's a bold experiment. But the Bruces are people who engage in all sorts of bold experiments about sovereignty and about the organisation of government and the justification of rule. And perhaps, uh, in the end, what does for, for the Scottish intervention isn't overambition, isn't lack of planning, isn't a, a, a type of, of inability to, to read the reality of the situation, but the fact that the invasion coincides with this uh, deep climatic and arable crisis that uh, affects the, uh, the entirety of Western, Western Europe is an invasion that's launched in the midst of a famine, which really does make the entire island in some ways resistant to continuous military uh, activity and campaigning. So that's a rather long-winded way of saying, yes, you can envisage perhaps the uh, ways in which the Bruce invasion, which has obviously quite a bit of intellectual and political and rhetorical thought put into it, it might have developed in ways that could have affected the shape of Scottish kingship, English kingship, and and the history of the British Isles and Ireland for the remainder of the 14th century. Thank you very much indeed. So if you, the audience, have liked this podcast... Please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Follow the project on Twitter. Our handle is at COTR2020. 
and visit our website online at www.cotr.ac.uk.